as the team is making their way uh, down to their seats, would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Father, we just ask you to speak what is true. That your word would point to truth this morning. Lord, I'd ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears to what you would have us know. Lord, you're in this place. Your power is in this place. And you're asking your people that are gathered in your name to take a moment and just allow themselves to quiet. Allow their heads to still so that they can hear your truth. That your, your word, your, your hope, your love, your, your, very, your very self could just transform us, renew our minds, change our hearts, continue to form us and shape us into the image of your son, Jesus, Lord. I'd ask that you would do that in this place this morning. I'd ask that this just isn't another thing we do in the week or for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, it's just a a rut or a pattern or a practice that we just get into. No, Lord, I would just ask that you would use this space, this space now to truly grow us, to truly change us so that our time here this morning, that our, our very being here this morning would influence tomorrow and the next day. And that, and that Lord, I just ask for those, those in this place that are guests and those maybe that don't, don't know you, don't know you as Savior and Lord, that they would see, that they would hear, that they would experience that you are real, you are love, you are truth. And everything that is life is found in you. So, Lord, here's our heart. Here's our life. Use it now. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you as I begin this morning to turn in uh, your scriptures, if you have it, to John, 1 John, 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. Starting at verse 11. I'm sorry, starting at verse 7, verse 7, we're going to read 7 to, 16, uh, 7 to 11, and then we're going to jump over to John, 1 John chapter 4, but let's just start there, 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse, 11, verse 7, can't get that right this morning, I'll get better, I promise, John writes this, beloved, I am writing you no new command, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going 
because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And flip over to 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. As we begin this morning, what I want you to do, just for a moment, is I want you to look around the room. Yeah, that's right. We're going to get real uncomfortable up in here. Like when you make eye contact with somebody, just stare at them a little too long. (laughs) But look around the room. It's a simple question. Where do you see love this morning? Where do you see love this morning? It's in this place, is it not? As you look around the room, are are there people? Are there stories that you can think of? Yeah? As you look around the room... Can you say to me this morning, there are tangible pictures of love in this place that you know of? Listen, I'm, I'm the new guy. And I can tell you that even aside from my beautiful family up here, that I can stand up here and look and I can see love. I've already heard amazing stories of God's love. I've heard of families and of people here that have done things for Christ. People that have shared the love of Christ with people. And it, 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 it fills me with so much joy when I've heard them. I mean, I, I, I can stand up here and just look and I can experience God's love. It's real. And it's in this place. It's not some like, I don't know what love is, right? Some intangible thing that we just talk about, some pie in the sky thing. It's a real thing, and I've experienced it, and I can even see it. It's in real time. And if we're gathered together, those of us that are believers, we gather in this church together week in and week out. If we can see it, if we can say to one another this morning, you know, my church, I can look and I can sit here on a Sunday morning. And I can see where love exists, where God's love is actually happening and has happened. If we can do that, then a question I have to ask is, why doesn't the world see that? Why doesn't doesn't the world see the church as love? If you were here two weeks ago, I shared with you that there, in unprecedented measures, there are people, people that grew up in the church young men and young women who they are predicting are going to walk away from the faith in faster and more rapid ways than they've ever seen we've ever seen before they don't see love in the church in fact from the study i, I showed you this was the this was the quote from it 
It said that they left, that they interviewed a lot of these, these children and these young adults that have left the church, and they left because they just weren't interested in the Christian life that they saw. They heard the stories. They heard the preachers. They know the books, but they didn't see something that they believed was supposed to be there. David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons wrote a book, and in that book where they talk about what's going on in culture, what's going on in the church right now, this is what he said. This is what they said according to their studies. They both work for Barna, George Barna. He's kind of like, you know, the the stats guy for the Christian world. And, And they said this, Christians are often seen by the lost as hyper-political, out of touch, shy in our beliefs, and arrogant. I don't know how you can be both, but, you know, this is, this is what their reports say. Um, in particular, we are viewed by young Americans who do not attend church as anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, and insensitive to others. Now, we can, I could stand up here and spend the next half an hour arguing with them, right? I could, I could say, well, they, they don't see what I see. They haven't experienced what I have. They, don't, they, don't, they haven't experienced the love of Jesus, and, and they're, they're looking at things from the outside. But here's the thing, folks. If, if we're supposed to be a loving community, if, if we're supposed to, if we know that God's love existed here, that we do things for God's love, and yet those people which we are called, in fact, the great purpose of us being here on earth, which is to go and make disciples, to win lost people for Jesus Christ, if that's the way that they see us, then we have a problem, don't we? We have, we have something we, we're, 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 we, need to, we need to work on. There's something that God wants to do in us in a way in which we interact with our faith and the way that we live it out that has to change in this age, in this time. That there's, a, there's a new thing among us, and God is calling us as a church. God is calling us to be unexplainable, which is our series, and unexplainable in a way in which people get to know Jesus and get, people get to know us in different ways. I, I, it's, struggle, it's a struggle for me that us as Christians, that, that those of us that I, I know that we love people, I know that we, we want to reach people, I know that God's love is in our hearts, and I see it in this place, as I've said. It's, struggle, it's a struggle for me that we as believers in the for the non-believers, are seen more for what we're against than who we're for. Say that again. We're seen more for what we're against than who we're for. And yet we have this big idea that we've been tackling over these last weeks with this series, The Unexplainables, that the supernatural power of God is truly unexplainable, but it's livable. It's livable. That means that it's, we are able to live in a way in which people that do not know Christ would see us differently and actually want to come to know him better. It's livable. God wants to do it. Superheroes. We talk, we've been talking about superheroes. That's you know, kind of the theme that these superheroes could do these supernatural works for God or these super, super powers and they do these super things in the world and they, they save people and they, they can fly and they're super strong and they have the ability to stand for, for what is right all the time. In fact, the superheroes are known right for, for always being for the good and always against evil. Every superhero story we ever see is that way, is it not? 
In fact, it's, it, would be, it would be something that would shock us if we were to watch a superhero do something that was inherently evil or use their powers for something that's e- evil. In fact, if we saw a superhero do something evil, something that wasn't loving, something that wasn't true, wasn't good, we would cease to think of them as a superhero. They would be what? A villain. They'd be the bad guy. There's a consistency with the superheroes, and and we kind of know the story of superheroes. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that for us who have God's supernatural power inside of us, there should be that same consistency, that what we are for, who God is, is who we are, and that we're always for that. Now, using superheroes in this theme, this this, uh, whole series, we've been talking about The Incredibles, right? The Incredibles movie. I want you to show a clip of the consistency of Mr. Incredible, the star in The Incredibles, if you ever saw it before, pushed to the edge in what would I would say would push him to a place where he would step from being superhero to villain. Let's take a look. Mom? Fire it! Mayday, mayday! India Gulf 909 or his buddies fight! Abort, abort! There are children aboard, say again! There are children aboard this No! get over it. I seem to recall you prefer to work alone. (laughs) Release me! Now! Or what? I'll crush her. That sounds a little dark for you. Now go ahead. It'll be easy, like breaking a toothpick. (laughs) Show me. And I've outgrown you. It's interesting, you know, Mr. Incredible actually just feels like he's lost his entire family. He's lost everything. And it's interesting. If you squeeze an orange, what do you expect to come out? Orange juice, right? If you squeeze a hero, what do you expect to come out? heroic acts. And the problem, I think, in, at least in North America with Christians, is that if you squeeze a Christian, we're not exactly sure what's going to come out. Half of the world, half of the society, clearly believes what comes out is someone who's hypocritical, someone who's judgmental. And yet, John, Grandpa John, as I've been calling him, 
the apostle of Jesus who wrote a letter to the church to teach them what does it look like to live like Jesus? What does it look like to be true as a follower to Jesus? What does it mean to be unexplainable? tells us in his letter that if you were to squeeze a Christian, if you were to push them to the edge, if they were to have nothing else that they had to live for, that what would come out would be love. And how do we live like that? How do we move forward in that? How do we face this world and how do we live unexplainable lives despite the fact that the world sees us so much differently? How do we begin to be something that we're known for loving like Jesus, even if we're not for the things of this world? I believe this is not a new problem. This is something that's been true in how to live like a Christian from the beginning. And this is what John is trying to talk to us this morning. Syndrome says that Mr. Incredible's compassion on Mirage was a weakness. I argue that compassion and love is our greatest strength. So I would invite you to turn back to John, chapter, 1 John chapter 2. And this is what John is saying in this chapter. He's speaking about love. He says this, Beloved, it's a term of endearment. John, a grandpa, an older man, talking to in church as somebody who has seen, who has lived the Christian life, seen a lot of things. He said, Beloved, I am writing you No new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, what is John talking about? What is this new commandment that he's writing them of? It's not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. What is he he saying to this church? He's pointing them to the teachings of Jesus himself. Do you remember when Jesus was on earth and he said this? A new commandment I give to you, that you... Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Let's not lose this next line. Those of you who know this, let's not lose the importance of this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John's saying, I'm writing you a new commandment, but it's not a new commandment. It's actually an old commandment. I believe that this letter that John is writing to the church was written after he wrote his gospel. After he wrote the gospel of John, which he wrote about the teachings and the life of Jesus, trying to get people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And John is assuming that the people that are reading this letter have read his other gospel the story that God led him to write and inspired him to write about Jesus' life. And so he's saying to them, You should know this already. This is a new commandment that Jesus gave us, but as a Christian, this should be an old commandment to you. This is something you should have heard from the beginning, as he says, that I am writing you to remind you that we're called by Jesus to love one another. This is something that you would have gotten at the very beginning of your Christian life. Further, those of you that are in this room, John speaking to the people through this letter, that were Jews before you were Christians, this commandment to love one another should not be something new to you as well. Remember when Jesus was on the earth and he was asked to summarize the commandments? What did he say? He said this whole first half of scriptures, they didn't have two halves at that point, but all of the law, all of the prophets is summarized in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus took all of this writing, all of this teaching, all of these laws, 
over 600 of them, and, and took Leviticus 19.18 and Deuteronomy 6.5 and summarized it as this. Your vertical love for God informs your horizontal love for others. And you should love him with everything you are and love others with everything you are. And this is what John's saying. This is not a new commandment. This is something you should have had from the beginning. I think sometimes as churches, we, we kind of do this thing where we, we separate the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, this, and say, okay, there's the gospel of salvation, that you're a sinner. There's no way that you can ever be good enough like we talked about last week on your own. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And that when you come to believe and have faith that he died on the cross for your sin, three days later rose again, that you will have salvation. And then we bring it into this other part, which is, oh, by the way, and there's also this thing where God changes your heart, he changes your life, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you, and you get to live as somebody who loves, loves like Jesus, who lives and acts and bees like Jesus. This is, this is part two. And we sometimes, if we're not careful, we think that the Christian life is brought into two different categories. Like, the first thing is salvation, and the second thing is that we love God and love other people. And that's not the way it is. I think what John is saying is it's both and. Just as important is it to know that Jesus came to die for your sins and you receive salvation. It's also that Jesus wants to change your heart and life and teach you how to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And one informs the other and never should the two be separated. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we love to separate them. We love to say, well, there's these Christians and they do, they do the loving their neighbor really well, but they don't really teach the truth really well. And then there's these Christians that do all the truth, all the truth, and they don't, they don't show any grace. And, and, and we, we need to realize that what John is saying to the church is that what we're saying to, I'm saying to you this morning is that these two are one and the same. It's a new commandment, but it's an old commandment. It's one and the same from the beginning. It's not an optional part of the plan. Showing love to the world was never God's part two. It was always God's part one. John goes on. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John's a little confusing here. It's like, is it a new commandment or is it an old commandment, John? Come on. But he's saying at the same time, it is a new commandment, and it's true in him, and it's true in you. What John is saying is something new has happened. And this law to love God and to love others has deepened. It has strengthened. It has expanded. It has changed in a way that's completely different than we had through the prophets of old. Because God's promise through Ezekiel that he will give you a new heart and you will be able to follow his commands has come to pass through the life and death of Jesus and through Pentecost when his Holy Spirit comes in you. And even though even though this new commandment to perfectly love God and to perfectly love others has not exactly happened, we don't look upon each of us, each of us as in this room, we don't look upon the world and say, yeah, everything's the way it should be. That's not the way where we are yet. Yet it, John is saying it is a new commandment and it is true in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. What he's saying is God's, God's plan's already in action. The church of Jesus Christ is here. 
And as we surrender our lives to Christ, the darkness that was started when Jesus came on the planet is already starting to wane as the light of Jesus is in the world through you and through me. His plans are, we're not there yet. We won't be until he returns. We'll never see it until the consummation. But yet, in the middle, in that middle time, we're already there and we're not yet there. And we're called because that true light is in us. And it's began to be changed in us. And John says, why is this possible? Why is it possible that now because of Jesus, we can fulfill this new commandment? Why is it possible that Jesus was able to say, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples. Why is it possible that those statistics that we saw and the things that we've heard and the way that people see the church that isn't true can be changed? It's possible not because you and me. It's not because we have the capacity to live out this on our own. No, it's possible because God is love. It's possible because it doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with him. That's why John said in chapter 4, he said this, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from who? God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. John couldn't be any clearer. If you have the ability to have supernatural, unexplainable love for God and for, the na- for your neighbor, then you have to be born of God. You have to be born again. You have to be regenerated. God has to change your heart. And if he has, then true love, perfect love, pure love has its origin in God. And only then will it come into you. And if you do not have that love, then you've not been born of God. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now this is, for some of you, this is very familiar. You've heard this before. If you've been in church all your life, you've heard these passages before. But allow that not to just let you dismiss what God wants to say to you this morning. He says that if you are born again, if you are born into God, if his love, his truth is in you, then the natural outflowing of that is love. Like I said, if you squeeze a Christian, the one thing that should come out is love. No matter what. And if you don't, If you don't, you're not born of God. That's not who you are now. And there's little doubt in our world today that we need a definition of what love is, don't we? Isn't love sometimes the most confusing thing? I mean, we could look around this room and say, yeah, I've seen love, but love has been hijacked. If you ask some people what love is, love love comes down to the selfish desires we have, or if somebody doesn't accept me for all that I am and everything that I believe that I was created to be, then they don't love me. That's common in this culture today. There's a culture belief that, you know, love love is sometimes also mixed with sex, right? We want to try to find a movie or a TV show where the two aren't confused with the same thing. And yet John is very clear. He couldn't be clearer. How do we define love? How do we know what love is? How do we know what we're supposed to live out? It's found in God, because God is love. And here's the thing, God is love does not only mean that God is one of, God is love doesn't mean it's just one of the things that, Jesus, that God does. 
Like, God is a loving God. You could say that, and that's true. But that's not what John's saying. He's not saying that God's action is love. He's saying God himself is love. All of his activities, all that he is, his very being is love. And you know what that means? That means if God judges, that his judgment is love. That's what it means. And I think this is one of those things that's very difficult. I think this is one of those things that when people that do not know Christ, those people that are far from him, don't know what that means, then they see sometimes God's judgment is our unlovingness. You with me? But here's the thing. This is what I've learned about God's judgment. I've learned that if God is judging me, if God is saying that my life is sinful, if God is saying that, the, that he, this is what he defines as sexuality, this is what he defines as truth, this is what he defines as the way we're supposed to live, this is what he says about the way we're supposed to do our finances, this is the way that he says our marriage should be, this is the way he says we're supposed to treat orphans and widows, this is the way that he says we're supposed to treat the foreigner, this is the way that he says we're supposed to order our entire lives. If this is the way it is, and if this is his judgment, then I've come to realize the more I spend time in this book with my face in front of him, that if I follow and I operate on what he is calling me to, that my life will be flourished, that my heart will not be torn apart by sin, that I actually will live in joy, and I will actually see the fruit of God's love in my life, because he would not ask me to live by those standards if those standards weren't the most loving standards for me to walk by. And that's hard. Is it not? It's real. I've, listen, folks, let's get real. I've sat across from people on, on, on some of these conversations. There's kids in the room, so I'm trying to watch that. I've, on some of these conversations about what God says is right and wrong when it comes to our sexuality, when it comes to our, our lifestyles, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to marriage, I've sat across from people and they have been turned off by what God says is right and what God says is wrong. But we have to understand, folks, if John is telling us, filled with the Holy Spirit, that God is love, then when God calls us to a standard of living, that in his love, he believes that living to that standard is the best way for us to live. And the best way for our hearts to be with him. The best way for us to love one another, love him and love one another. If God is judge, and that means all of his judgments are loving because God is love. But God's love is also injustice. Because God, if God is judge, then justice is love. That means when God says how we're supposed to serve the world, when God says how we're supposed to meet poverty, when God says how we're supposed to meet the issues in our, in our schools, in our, in our towns, when God says how we're supposed to engage with the widows and the orphans and how we're supposed to live out our faith, that as people who have his love in our hearts, that the church excuse me, the church should be on the front line of all of those things because God's love is justice. 
This is the reason why. It is because of God's love is the reason why. If you go to history and you want to look back in history and you want to find a time where the world was changed by how we treat people based upon the color of their skin, Christians were on the front end. If you want to look back in history, I I challenge you to do so. At a time where a society changes the way they look at the treatment of women or children, I promise you it's Christians that are on the front end of that movement. And you know why that is? Is it because we do good things as Christians? No, it's because God is love. And where justice and where the wrong things in the world are made right, it is because of the presence of God's love in the hearts and lives of the people that are working for it. And folks, if we're not working for it, we're not living as those who are born of God. Ultimately, John says that God's love is seen. It's actually made clear to us in a picture. He says this, in this the love of God was made manifest, made clear to us. We were able to see it among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. John says, you want to see a picture of God's love? You want to see who God really is? Then you look at the story of what God did through his son, Jesus. He sent his son into the world to suffer and die. And that is a picture of how much he loves the world. Do you know that in all the world, in all the religions, and I've studied them when I was in seminary, I studied other religions. I, I, I have never heard of any practice in the world where the deity that that people group worship would actually come and die for the people that are called to worship him. You with me? That is who our God is. That is why those other gods are false. If you're a Muslim, you don't have any idea at the moment that you go to your deathbed whether or not you're going to end up in paradise, what they believe is paradise. You have no clue. You have no clue because God is waiting to, their God is waiting to judge you. No, do you know that the true God, the God we worship, our God, loves us so much that he took that out of the equation because you have assurance in your faith, you have assurance in your death, you have assurance where you go when you die because he sent his son to stand in your place. And you don't have to worry about the scales bent against you one way or another. No, because the scales are all set on him. That's how much he loves us. That is a message that should be pouring from every ounce of our being. John says, we want to show the world how we love them. We point them to Jesus. There's no greater picture of how much God loves us. You know, there's one thing to talk about love. It's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to show it. Can I get an amen from the wives in the room? Right? It's not just, and it's so much of other, that we've read in John's letter so far. John says, there's a difference between saying it and there's a difference between doing it. And God's love is not just a belief, it's an action. Our God is not a talking God. He's an acting God. He's a sending God. He's a doing God. He's a serving God. He comes to us. For God so loved the world that he sent And so if we are to love the world, then that means we have to go 
to the world. Not wait for them to come to us. You know what this also says? This picture of God's love, what John wants us to know about God's love, is that he sent his only son into the world, and we know the rest, to die. Do you know that the picture of God's love, what it means to love like God, means that love is self-sacrificial. To this, all the parents in the room should say, amen. Right? Love, God's love, to, be ha- to, to exhibit a God kind of love means it's got to cost us something. And you know what my worry is? I was just talking about this this morning. In the American Christian church, and love me for saying this, because I'm just as guilty as the next. This is hard for us. Because you know what sometimes comes, you know what sometimes becomes another God for us, especially as Christians? Comfort and safety. Really. Comfort and safety. Making sure everything's right. But John's very clear that if you want a picture of God is love to follow, if you want to have unexplainable love in your life, it means that you have to seek someone else's good by giving of yourself. And safety and comfort and being okay have nothing to do with it. And this is tough for me. Because I like my house. And I love our town. I do. And I want my kids to be safe. And I would want nothing more than for them never to have to experience the horrors that I did and I saw and I lived for 10 years as a police officer. And I'd like for them to be completely shadowed from all that stuff for the rest of their lives. But then I look at this text and I look at what what John's saying to me and saying to us and he says, no, if you're going to love like God loves then sometimes it's going to mean that you have to go to those places and you have to stop going to all the places that you know are safe and you have to stop worrying about the people that are surrounding your family and start walking into lives of people that aren't yet sanctified, lives of people that aren't yet holy, lives of people that aren't yet perfect because they won't know God's love unless you go. And folks, that's hard. As your pastor, I'd never preach something without living it out. And I'm going to tell you, it's hard for me to think about that and to do that. But that's what John's saying to us. And it's not to go to the people that deserve it. It's not to go to the people that we want to go to, the people that are already okay, you know, they just need to know love. No, if we're going to have a God kind of love, then we have to go to the people that don't deserve it. Right? Paul couldn't be any more clear about this in the book of Romans. He says this, in this, the love of God, um, in, in this, Paul says this in Romans, sorry. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Yeah, I can go, I can go to the places that are tough for the good people. I can kind of step out in faith for the good people. If they're not too bad and they're not too skeevy, I I can do that. No, 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 no. Look what Paul says. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. While we still were messed up, while we still had none of it right, Christ died for us. And this is why this is so important for us if we are going to be one of the unexplainables. Look what John says. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I thought it was interesting, that word seen in, in the original language, the, this letter was written in Greek. In Greek, that word seen is the word theomai, theomai. It's the word that we get the, the English word theater from. So, so what John is saying is like, just as people would go and see something on display as a theater, in a theater, that when we love one another, that we put God's love on display for the world. He's saying no one's ever seen God. Yeah, we have pictures of that. We have, you know, Moses seeing the back of God. We see Isaiah seeing God's train fill the temple and he falls down and he, and he can't even look at it. We see theophanies of pictures of God in the Old Testament. But what, what John is saying is no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love actually lives in us and it's perfected in us. If we want to put God's love on display for the world, we live for one another. We show one another love. We actually get out of our comfort zones and go and do it and we put it on display for the world and he says it's amazing he says God's love is then perfected it comes to completion it reaches his goal do you realize church Christian God's goal in this world is that your life and your love for one another actually puts his love on display for the world that's his goal that's how it comes complete that's how this mission that started with Jesus is to be lived out in our world for us to live this way, for us to love this way, this is what our purpose is in the world. And for us not to exhibit love and for the world not to see anything but love from us would be just as much against our, our nature as Mr. Incredible snapping that woman like a peg or like a twig. Because that is who we are if we are born of God and God's love lives in us. John says it's a new commandment I give you. It's, it's just, it should be the beginning of your Christian life. God is love. His self-sacrificial, self-giving love lives in you. And you, Christian, are meant to put that on display for the world. So when the world looks at this church, when the world looks at you, when the world sees a believer in Jesus, they experience and see the love of God as if they were going to a theater to watch it. Now, what does this mean? This, this, this means that we have to take God's love seriously. That means that everything we do as we pursue him with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and strength, we know that he wants to form us in his image so that we can love one another. That it's not part one and part two, it's all part of his plan. This means that each and every day, I contend to you, we have to ask this question. What does this unexplainable love require of you? Or better yet, what does this unexplainable love require of me? If I've accepted the Lord and he has 
the Lord of my life, the Savior of my everything. And he is changing me. And my call now is not only to love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind and all my strength, but my call is to love my neighbor. And that by the way that I do this, the world will know that I follow him. By the way that I do this, that my life and my love is actually going to be on dis- God's love on display to the world. If this is what it means to be God is love and his love in me and be born of God, then what does that require of me? What does his unexplainable love require of me? I'll tell you, I shared a little bit. You know how I answered this question this week for myself? It means I have to not allow myself as I transition here into this church. As I come back to an area that I love, amongst people that I love, that I don't allow myself to just be comfortable, to just pastor the church, make sure everybody's taken care of, make sure everybody in this place feels loved, because I will do that, and I, I love doing that. Just to make sure I go to my house, and I hit my garage door, and I pull my car into my comfort little, you know, my, my, my air-conditioned house. And I'm doing Jesus' work and just settle for that. That's what it means for me. That means i got to get out of my comfort zone for him. But what does unexplainable love require of you? Parents, how does this question answer in that situation? How does God maybe calling you to live and love your kids in a different way? How does this apply to relationships in our church? What does it mean for us to be a church? What does it mean to be Palmyra Grace if unexplainable love is required and unexplainable love means that when people look at us and they see the love that we have for one another, that they know we're followers of Jesus? Not because we have a great mission statement or a great sign out front. What does that require of us? What does that mean? How does this apply to those relationships for people outside the faith? Maybe the question is, do you have any relationships outside the faith? Maybe that's step one. But what does unexplainable love require of you with your relationships of people that do not yet know Jesus? I'd encourage you to ask that question. When you're at work and that person is driving you nuts, you know the person I'm talking about. Them again. Maybe God's wanting you to pause this week and think to yourself, all right, now what does unexplainable love require of me in this situation? Because my life's meant to put put his love on display. What does it require of me? Kids, don't don't hate me for saying this already, but what does this require of you this, this year in school? What does it mean? Did you ever think about that? What does it mean that God's love that's in you is wanting you to put it on display. When you go into school this year, what would change in the way that you do school if you were to ask yourself the question, today in my school day, what does unexplainable love require of me as I'm interacting with these people? Single people. How does this apply to dating? Did you ever think about that? What does unexplainable love require as you're single and as you're dating people? How does that change the way you think about, the way you interact? Those of you that are retired, that have have left the working world and now you're in the retired world and 
Most retired people I know are more busy than people I know that are working. (laughs) The retired people I've met in this church are no different. (laughs) But what does this mean for you? If this is what it means to show God's unexplainable love, what does it mean? What does God have for you during this season of your life? Certainly it's not to retire from loving the world for God, right? Certainly it doesn't mean that we just do the things that we've been waiting to do for 50 years. I'm sure that's part of it. But what does it require of you? You know, last night I was playing this... uh, we were, at, we were at my house, and I was playing my guitar, and we were worshiping together. Now, before you get the wrong idea, there's also nights in the pastor's house where we're screaming at the kids, and we're barely able to, you know. <laughs> so don't think, I even hesitated sharing this, because it was just like, yeah, there's the pastor. But last night, <laughs> last night, we were, I was playing my guitar, and, and we were worshiping together. And I was playing the song by Corey Asbury. I don't know if you listen to Christian music called Reckless Love. Have you heard that song yet? If you haven't, this is some of the words. He, wrote, he writes this, when I was your foe, he's singing to God, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You've been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You've been so, so good to me. Oh, the overwhelming never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights until I'm found. It leaves the 99. You know that? Leave the 99 for the one. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And then the bridge is just so powerful. It says, there's no shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. No lie you won't tear down coming after me. The reckless love of God. And I can't hear that song without getting choked up for his love. It just grips my heart in such a way. And as I'm singing it, and as I'm playing it for my kids, I just feel like God is impressing on me to share with you this morning that if that's my reaction to that song, to the truth of what God's love is to me, shouldn't somebody be able to say, if I'm supposed to live out that love to the world, that I had the same impact on their life? Now, I'm not saying I'm God. But if I'm supposed to put his love on display, shouldn't be somebody be able to say, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up to come after me if I'm lost in my sin? Shouldn't somebody be able to say, there's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me? If my role in this whole big thing is to be so unexplainable, if unexplainable love requires of me to love like God loves, isn't that what I'm called to do? If, if, if I'm able, if, if I'm not supposed to be somebody who has overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love for the people who need to know God, is that not what he requires of me? If I can sing this song and I can worship him and I can be overwhelmed with his love, is that not what, what's not required of me? I'm just being real with you this morning. This is what I was going through as I was singing that song. I could barely make it through. Because here's the thing, it's so much easier for me to be comfortable, church. 
It's so much easier for me to just do some Christian things and to give some money to missions and do these things and be settled that I've done what I'm supposed to do for the Lord. But John doesn't let me off the hook on that. John doesn't say that's what it is. What's unexplainable love require of me? I look at this verse by John, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This week, my challenge for myself, my challenge for you, is in those moments when this message comes back to your heart, and I pray it does, to just ask the question, what does unexplainable love require of me? Right now, God, what is your love requiring of me? Church, if we would just live this out, whew, this town would change. Our lives would change. And he would be glorified. And maybe not we wouldn't stem the time of, tide of what the entire world says about Christianity, but my prayer would just be that the people of Palmyra would be able to say, well, I see that on the news, but that's not my experience with the people who love Jesus in this place. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you and we know that you love us and you're going to challenge us. Father, if I'm honest, this, this, uh, this week challenges me. But Lord, we know that this was never meant to be something that you put on us to do on our own. No, you've given us your spirit and your supernatural power is unexplainable, but it's livable because it's your power at work in us. So Lord, as your people here in this church, I just ask that you would call us to surrender all that we are to live out that self-sacrificial love of God and that you would show us in clear, tangible ways in real time what your love requires of us this week. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.